Hello and welcome to the Naval Air Podcast. My name is Mike and I'll be your host. Let me start by apologizing for the amount of time between the last show and this one. Had some folks roll in from out of town and when he had a family vacation. So I've been away from the microphone for about uh, two and a half weeks or so. But I'm back and I'm ready to pick up where we left off. Before we do that though, I want to run down the housekeeping items. Uh, email navalaircrew at gmail.com please feel free to send me an email if I've forgotten a detail that you think is important if you think I'm a crackpot and need a decent desist tell me if you're liking what you're hearing please let me know uh, if you have a story your memories of your time in naval aviation I'm interested in all that so please send me email. Again, the address Naval Air Crew. That's all one word. Naval Air Crew at gmail.com. If you remember, we're going to at this point, at the beginning of our little adventure here, we're going to catalog and go through the training pipeline for an aviation anti-submarine warfare operator in the United States Navy in the early 80s. I'm talking about me. And what I know and what I did. Uh, again, just to have a starting point. And I'm, I'm again repeating that I'd like to eventually collect these stories and histories from other folks from other eras. Anyway, so let's get rolling. Alright, so episode one we talked about, I introduced what the show was going to be about and I introduced what the pipeline was. Show two, we talked about the first stop on the pipeline, which was Naval Air Crewman Candidate School. All right, and now we're going to talk about the second stop. So, in February of 1983, February 25th to be exact, yours truly and the rest of class 8315 graduated from the Naval Air Crewman Candidate School. And we all boarded transportation, mostly commercial, to our next duty station. So some folks, after the finishing aircrew candidate school, well, actually most of them in my class, good majority, the next duty station was AWA school. So that's what we're going to talk about in this show. Now, the aircrew school shows about 46 minutes long, and it covered a school that lasted five weeks. Well, AWA school is scheduled to last 12 weeks, and you also had what's called what was called aviation fundamentals, which was you had two weeks to complete a self-paced course. So uh, there was there was a nebulous time that or amount of time you're expected to be at Naval Air Technical Training Center in Millington, Tennessee, which was where all the aviation A schools in the Navy were at the time. So yes, we departed Pensacola, Florida, on February 25th and made our way to. Naval Air Station Memphis, or NATTC for Naval Air Technical Training School, or Command, Naval Air Technical Training Command, Millington, which is the actual name of the town that NAS Memphis was in. So we arrived there that night like you usually do, and let's see, how do we want to talk about this? Um, Alright, NATTC Millington was a destination for, like I said, all 
aviation A schools. That's an A school is your school, your first school that you go to. Um, it's a school where you basically learn and get your MOS or in the Navy term was NEC or your rating. Upon successful completion of an A school, you had your rating, which is your two-letter job designation that the Navy uses to identify what you do for a living. So all the A schools or all the aviation ratings, their schools and where you got designated was at Millington. And with the exception of the AWs, all other A schools, their students arrive there straight from boot camp or basic training. So NATTC Millington was really used to dealing with people that this was their first stop out of basic training. And as usual, everything happens on a Friday. You arrive Friday. You wait around. You get on an airplane. Go to find some transportation to the to the base and get taken to the the term we use is transient barracks it's the it's a place where people aren't expected to stay very long because you've arrived when your regular place where you're supposed to be is closed because it's a weekend or after regular duty hours so me and my co- cohort cohorts uh, we arrive, you know, we all fly from Pensacola. We change planes, I believe, in New Orleans. <laughs> I can't remember the airline we're on, but they offered people, uh, you know, we're overbooked, so, you know, who's willing to take a bump? <laughs> and two of the guys traveling with us stood up and said, oh, they'll take a bump. But the rest of us reminded them that they had to check in by midnight Friday because even though we'd. We weren't straight out of basic training. We're still fairly new to the Navy. That we couldn't go gallivanting and extend our time to check it. So yeah, we'd be there by midnight. So we get there. We check it. We're in a transient barracks, and um, in Pensacola at Air Crew Candidate School, we were five to a room, and the rooms were fairly large. Um, the barracks we got put in the transient barracks are also five to a room. And the rooms are about, oh, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the size that we were used to in Pensacola. And the chow hall at NAS Memphis or NATTC Millington or whatever term we want to use was, I say, I'll say, was the worst dining facility out of all the Navy places I ate. Out of all the military chow halls I've been in, <laughs> the one at Memphis was the worst. Just the worst. Um, we found ourselves... Okay, so we're at loose ends. It's checked in Friday. We wake up Saturday morning. It's a non-duty day. We're transients. We have real no rules for responsibilities. A couple of us are trying to walk around and check the place out. And, and NES Memphis, the training, the training center was fairly large. And it was actually not so bad. They had... It was... Two halves at a north, I don't want to say campus, that's, they had a north section of the base and a south section of the base, and the south sections were all the training commands, all the schools, the school buildings, the barracks, the chow hall was on the south section, and the north section had 
your recreation facilities. The airstrip was also there because it was a naval air station. But the rec center was on the north side. They had a little pedestrian bridge so you could go over from one side to the other. And we're walking around checking it out. And long about you know Saturday afternoon, me and one of the fellows, we just kept finding ourselves whining. I want to go back to Pensacola. Because it was really... We went from basic training. We had gone from basic training, which is you know what you would think basic training. No rights, no nothing. You're, you've got no, no responsibility other than to do what you're told. To Pensacola, to where they treated you like a human being, which is like 180 degree opposite of basic training. You're expected. They treated you professionally. They treated you like a human being. They treated you nice. And now we're back to a place where... <laughs> 98% of the people there are straight out of basic training. So everyone's being stomped on or yelled at or just being treated like they don't know any better. And we'd already had a taste of the good life, so it was quite a shock to go back to Midland life. So we had two days of that, Saturday, Sunday. Monday, we were able to go check in with the AWA school. The check-in, if I remember correctly, was at the AW barracks. Uh, there was... There's various collections of barracks at NAS Memphis that were built at different times. The oldest barracks the Marines were in. Um, there was a middle, uh, you know, I don't know, middle set, but, you know, an older set, not as old as the Marines, but older than what we were living in, a set of barracks that had, one of them was for all the girls, because at that point the Navy girls were uh, still an incredible minority. So one, one barracks of... I think holding 80 for the girls in the Navy. Another barracks of about 80 for the women Marines. Um, and then AWs and some of the others, I forget which ratings were where, but we were in the newer barracks. So we checked in, got assigned a room, we moved in. Now, at this point, we're assigned to rooms where there's beds available. So when you get into your room, there's people at different stages of training. So when I got in there, there was one guy, two guys that were ahead of me. And three of us checked in at once, or two of us checked in at once. I don't remember. It was five to room, and this room was even smaller than the one we were in the transient barracks. It was really tiny. I mean, one whole wall was five lockers. The opposite wall had a bunk bed and a single bed against it and then in between halfway between the bunk beds and the lockers was another set of bunk beds for five five guys shared restroom facilities I think where there's two four showers for everybody on that floor to, to share one washer and dryer for everyone on that short floor to share so five guys to a room 10 rooms 50 50 people per floor does that sound right Sounds about right. Well, maybe less. It was more than 25. It was more than five rooms. Six rooms? For, I, I don't remember. Eight rooms for four? Anyway, it was a lot of people having to share the head, the laundry facilities. But NATCC Millington was actually kind of spread out. Um, now, let me go to that, go into that later. We'll talk about the school. All right, so we check in. We got our room. Talked about the room. We know where the chow hall is. They're actually fairly close to the chow hall, I guess, which is a mixed blessing, right? You're closer to crap food. Um, the next thing... All right, so then we had to go through an indoctrination. Uh, 
The indoctrination lasted, was it two days? Two days of indoctrination, well, which was basically welcome to NATT Naval Air Technical Training Center in Memphis, Tennessee. Here's what to watch out for. Here's this. Here's where you can find that. Here's some of the local laws for Tennessee. Here's the drinking age. All these things. Things to watch out for. Two days of this. And, and I, <laughs> the only solid lesson I took away from it was that we're in the South. In the South, when they say y'all, they mean you, singular. You. Y'all are going to come with us. Or are you going to come with us? All y'all was plural. So, are all y'all going to come with us would be someone addressing a whole room of people. And that's the one solid lesson I took out of that indoctrination class of two days. Um, and the other funny thing was, we were waiting for our civilian closed passes. We checked in. Now, at NAS, or the Naval Air Technical Training Center, like I said, 98% of the people there stay from basic training. If you your first duty station after basic training, you have to wait six or eight weeks before you can start wearing civilian clothes when you're off duty or after hours or whatever. Well, unless you're coming there from someplace besides basic training. If you're coming there from someplace besides basic training, say out in the fleet or whatever, you are authorized civilian clothes right off the bat. But you had to have a special card because when you were going in and out the gate in NAS or Memphis and you were in civilian clothes, you had to prove that you had spent, you'd done your time just being able to go out in uniform. So yeah, it was the big rush to get back after the second day of indoctrination, get back in time before the duty office closed in the barracks to hand out our our uh, civilian clothes passes. And then the other strange thing was that we had to stand watch. We had to start having to stand and watch. We did watches in basic training, which is basic nonsense things to do. No watch standing at air crew school. But at AWA school, we started having to stand watches. And I think we were in three sections, one per floor. Um, so every third weekend, we were on, you know, we had the whole floor was on duty. And it was, it was kind of crazy. Um, I can't even remember what we had to stay. We had to walk around, I guess, make sure two hours at a time, watch the floor or watch the whole building. Yeah, watch the whole building, make sure guys were in bed or weren't tearing stuff apart. Or It, it was not... I, I think in the 12, 13, 14 weeks I was there, I maybe stood watch twice. It was it was spread out pretty thin, so it wasn't that bad. So we had to get there before the regular daytime guys left and the duty section took over, at which point you weren't getting crap. So anyway, finish the basic indoctrination after two days, get our civilian clothes passed, and then we were told uh, we were going to start the the uh, the first school that you take. Everyone takes this thing called aviation fundamentals, or they did back in that day. And you took aviation fundamentals before you started your A school. Now, at, my understanding was every aviation rating had to take this aviation fundamentals. The Aviation Fundamentals, like I said before, was a computer-based, self, self-paced course of study on, and it taught you some the, you know, aircraft nomenclature, how they come up with F-14, how they come up with H-3, how, or what those things mean, because 
you know, it was a it was non-standard up until a certain point where all the all the branches decided to agree on a standard nomenclature for aircraft. You would also learn basic things about the different colors jerseys on an aircraft carrier, who who did what. You know, purple was fuel fuel handlers, red were ordnance men, white was safety or final checkers, things like that. And you had two weeks to complete this course, okay? And that meant you took, I think, if you took one subject or one and a half subjects per day or sections per day, you could finish in two weeks. But, I mean, this stuff was easy. It was like you check out section one or subject matter one or category, whatever it was, and you sit at your little computer terminal and you'd read the information, take a practice test, go check out the real test, take the real test, get scored on the real test. And if you pass the real test, then they would hand you the next thing to learn. Well, this stuff was easy. I mean, it, it got to the point on some of the short ones where you could just read the practice test, take the practice test. And if you did find the practice test, go up and take the real test and just burn through this quote-unquote two-week course in no time at all. Uh, yours truly, three and a half days. Because I started on Wednesday. Two and a half days? Was it that quick? It was indoctrination. It was two days. I started fundamentals, I guess, on Wednesday, and I finished up by Friday afternoon. And the last thing being... Uh, <laughs> the last thing you learned was how to safety wire stuff. You went into a, like a metal shop and you had to, you had some blocks of metal with, you put screws and nuts and bolts on them and twist safety wire in the proper direction so it was holding stuff tight. It was just kind of funny. And I, so it was two and a half days because I guess I'd finished up by Friday afternoon. What did I take? Ah, see. You were witnessing firsthand the reason why I'm even doing this project is because I can't remember some of these details anymore. I could sworn it was three and a half days, but I could also swore it was um, two days for indoc. I thought I finished it all in one week, but I could be wrong. Maybe I spilled over to the next week. Who knows? It doesn't matter. Uh, all that matters is that I, I did get ready, finished my fun- aviation fundamentals, and time to start the next AWA school class and each uh, a school class started up on a Thursday. Every Thursday, a new class spun up, um, and and then because tests were on Thursdays, or is it Friday's classes spun up? New class spun up on Friday. Tests were Thursday. Maybe that was the way it was. It was. It wasn't on Monday. That's the that's the main point here. So whatever day your first day of class was. You had to be out ready to do the march over. The whole school, the whole AWA school, all 12 classes that were there at one time or 10 classes, 11 classes, we would all march over in order of where you were in the school, which meant the class that was graduating that week was marched in front. The next class formed up behind them. Only four dudes wide, so we were long, sneaky, and, you know, the class that just started was at the back. And we would step off at 5.45 in the morning because school started at 6 a.m. and ran till noon. So it was only six hours, but it was morning. We had a couple breaks in there. Might, might have only gone to 
But yeah, we stepped off at 5.45 to make sure we're over at the schoolhouse by 6. Get into class, sit down, start learning. Which meant that if you wanted to get up and get a shower, because the showers, again, there's only four showers per floor. I was probably getting up at 4.45 to make sure I can get a shower in the morning, take my time getting dressed, and be out there formed up, ready to step off at 5.45. We marched all the way over to the school. And it was, I, I couldn't even tell you how long it was, but it was a 15-minute walk, a little less than a 15-minute walk marching in formation. So now, AWA school was a series of weekly subjects. Week one was a subject. Week two was a subject. Week three was a subject. So on and so forth until you got to the end 12 weeks later. 11 weeks later. Um, And if you failed, because like I said, testing was on Thursday. So if you failed, you just stayed in that classroom when the next class rolled in Friday morning. You just rolled back. And I can't remember how many chances you got. One or two failures and then you got... If you failed the school, you lost your chance to become an AW and you got sent out to the fleet as an undesignated airman. Which usually translated to being shipped to an aircraft carrier to help move aircraft around, set chocks and chains, those kind of things. So, alright, so AWA school started with one week of algebra. Friday morning, this is algebra. And we did algebra for five days. High school level algebra. Nothing nothing crazy. 2x equals y. That kind of crap. Um, over and over again. A practice test maybe. The idea of which was to get your... To ground you. Because when you got into the meat of what it meant to be an AW. You are using algebra to do your analysis. So they wanted you to be f- to very familiar with swapping numbers for variables and they wanted you to be fast with it. So we had a week of algebra. That was week one. Week two was air navigation. Uh, an air navigation with plotters. You're being you're, you're told that you're at a certain going on a certain heading, magnetic heading, with a certain crosswind or whatever. What what kind of what kind of heading would you have to fly to arrive at a certain point? And it was it was kind of building up on your foundation of algebra because you were doing, again, a lot of number swapping with variables. And you had to be, be precise in your answers. I remember one worksheet you filled out that was like a, a four-leg cross-country with winds and, and um, magnetic compass headings and stuff that when the sheet was, when, when you done filling it out, it was just solid numbers. And if you weren't careful, I mean, it would, it would be very easy to confuse yourself and, and mess up. Um, all right, so week one, week one, algebra. Week two, air navigation. Week three was, actually week three and four was combined uh, radar and magnetic anomaly theory. So you learned for the first for the first portion of that, for the, but it was the same instructor for two weeks, which is different than everything else at that point. It was there was the math guy, there was the air nav guy, and then the radar mad person was two weeks worth. 
And the radar mad, you know, radar theory is, you know, talks about uh, pulse repetition frequencies, uh, pulse rates, um, things, how radar works essentially, because some AWs might be radar operators depending on the platform or the aircraft they ended up getting assigned to. So they, you needed to know about radar theory and how radar worked. The other half of that class was magnetic anomaly theory. A magnetic anomaly is a, a method of locating submarines because submarines are big metal objects that disrupt the magnetic lines of flux in the Earth around them. And a, a magnetic anomaly device is this little thing that, de- again, depending on the aircraft, in a P3 it's the stinger tail. In an S3 it was an extended stinger tail. Uh, in an H3, H2, H60, it was a device that was towed. It was strung out a couple hundred feet behind the aircraft and towed and float. You know, it flew in the air. It was missile shaped. And this thing would line itself up with the lines of flux, the magnetic lines of flux. And you'd have a little dis- paper display that would show you that it was tooling along fine. But when it went over something large metal object that was dis- displacing the lines of flux, it would register on the display as a big old swing. Now, it's a good way to lo- localize you know, or actually finitely locate a submarine underwater because... I mean, you have to fly like right over this thing for this to, for this thing to go off. So, you had a week of how being taught how that worked and uh, you know how useful it was and and uh, learning that that the helicopter deployed MAD devices. That was what they were called, magnetic anomaly detection (MAD). MAD, the MAD birds swung under helicopters were probably the more precise because they were less disrupted by the aircraft itself. After Radar and MAD, we had Oceano. Now, Oceano was the first expected milestone that would break people. Math, every once in a while, I guess, the algebra sometimes would would cause someone to fail because they're too far out of school or not as smart as they used to be or whatever. So math would trip some people up. I think we lost one guy to math. We lost one guy to an air nav because he had a problem keeping his numbers straight. But oceanography, or Oceano for short, was really a week. I mean, it was a week. Or was Oceano two weeks? Was Oceano another two week class? Five and six? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Oceano might have been two weeks. Hmm. Again, <laughs> first hit. First hint observation of why I'm doing this. All right, it's really going to make me angry. All right, so oceanography was was hard. <laughs> it was where you learned. All right, well, let me back. Yes, it was one of those milestones where it was expected that at least one person would fail Oceano and get held back. Uh, if it was their second F, they were out unless they're offered one more chance after that. But Oceano was expected to be hard because um, they crammed supposedly one semester's worth of college-level oceanography in two weeks. Does that sound right? One week, two weeks, however, however long it was. And that's an oceanography was oceanography that, that pertained to 
to AW's craft of finding submarines. In in sub hunting, the portion of oceanography that's important is how sound travels underwater. So we were learning how how sound travels underwater and the different things that affect how sound travels underwater. And those things were that we were learned were temperature, salinity, and pressure. You know what temperature the water was, how much salt was in the water, and how deep, you know, the pressure the pressure at the depth or wherever the sound was being generated. So you can see that this is this is important to know when you're trying to find submarines because the way you're basically looking for submarines in the water is the sound that they put into the water. So you can see why oceanography is relevant. So you, we learned about you know direct path sound. We learned about convergence zones. Um, sound bouncing off the ocean floor. Things like that. And how temperature, salinity, and pressure affected all those things. Um, so, yeah, it was it was again it, it was pound 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 go go go. Learn the stuff. Learn the stuff. Take a test. Now, all all this all these courses, algebra, air nav, radar mad. And oceanography were taught in the front of the schoolhouse, the non-secure area of the schoolhouse. Our schoolhouse had a secure area because after oceanography, what we were learning was classified as secret. The methodology and the, you know, anyway, it's classified as secret. So we had to go through a security checkpoint every day in our classrooms and our we had no windows. <laughs> They're big concrete boxes. Our class materials we had to check in and check out every day because they were labeled a secret. Um, in these phases of, at this point, were called Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie. Um, and Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie were three phases of analyzing sound generated underwater by submarines analyzing that sound in a so I'm trying to dance around this because I still I still, I still know it's considered secret information or not um, but the sound is captured by recording devices paper recording devices and it's presented in a in a in a way on a piece of paper for you to look at and analyze okay and those are called grams short for lofar grams which is low frequency and ranging or low frequency and recording or something anyway low far grams were uh, sound collected underwater and presented on a piece of paper so alpha bravo and charlie was learning how to analyze grams we called them and determine based on what you saw on the gram what kind of submarine the gram had recorded the sound of so Here's where the algebra really came into play because the grams would represent noise generated. Well, if you think about it, what kind of noise can it, you know, is a submarine generating? It's generating the, the noise is being generated by the blades turning in the water. Noise is being generated by the engines driving those blades if they happen to be diesel. Uh, nuclear boats don't have engines. They have auxiliary equipment like little water pumps and electric devices and things like that that throw sound into the water. So 
to look at this stuff, you had to you had to be able to know what were called blade rates, shaft rates for blade noise, and cylinder rates and crankshaft rates for engine noise. And the algebra taught you is that you would look at this gram and be able to pull out a blade rate. Okay, can't be hard for me to explain why, and I'm certainly I'm I'm might be classified information for all I know at this point. But let's say you're you're pulling out a blade rate. Well, if you knew the blade rate and you knew one other thing, you can use those two and your algebra to figure out the third thing and therefore and there thereby almost guaranteed a positive identification of the type of submarine you're looking at. At that point, you know, you're learning about the different Soviet submarines. You know, they had um, Type 1 and 2 diesels. They had seven different types of nuclear boats. Um, yeah, I'm trying, can't remember. Hotel, Hotel Echo... Echo 2 and November were all nuke boats. I, you know, I can't remember. I, you know, Jane's somewhere online. You probably look this stuff up. But at one point, this is what we were memorizing. Now, the alpha section of learning to analyze grams was one week, and it was dipping your toe in the water. And uh, we didn't... I don't think we lost anybody. But the Bravo section was was two weeks... And it was also one of those expected milestones that would wash some people out, because um, you, you, you were having, yeah, we're having to remember more about different, more memorization of the different submarines you could be tracking, all the different Soviet types you could be looking at, a couple of the U.S. types you could be stumbling across. You had to have this stuff memorized. You had to have this, these numbers memorized of blade rates and shaft rates and things that would tell you what kind of boat you were looking at. So Bravo was two weeks and it had a washout rate. And um, up until then, I didn't know it at that point, but up until then I wasn't, I guess I wasn't impressing my instructors much because I sat in the back. I was one of the few guys at the tables or two. I was one of the few people that didn't have my, didn't have to share a table. And I just kind of was sitting in the back there absorbing stuff. And when, when the Bravo test came out, I almost aced it. And they were all surprised that uh, the only thing I missed was a, a line frequency for. Well, never mind. Um, I missed one thing, so they were actually quite surprised that I did so well. And after Bravo was Charlie, again, one week of more gram analysis. Um, but if you made it through Bravo, you're pretty much over the hump. As a matter of fact, if you made it through Bravo, um, you were allowed to start wearing the AW rating symbol on your uniform. You weren't designated AW yet, but you were close enough that you were considered one and you could you could put the AW sign, you know, the on your uniform you can sew your AW rating onto a uniform sleeve. Um, and for me, I was able to, I hit the AW status and then the very next day I advanced to E2, so I put AWAA, Aviation Anti-Summer Warfare Operator, Armored Apprentice. I put that rank on my uniform um, that day in May. So it was almost over. So 
It was also at that point, I have to say, it was also at that point where, at the very beginning of Charlie, is where the sales pitch started for selecting your aircraft. See, EWs performed their duties at that point in time on four aircraft or three platforms or communities. And they all had interchangeable terms and terminology. Okay, I, I explained some of this in the intro and pipeline show, but I'll go over it again. Choice one were P3s. P3s was also called VP for fixed wing patrol. P3 is a type of aircraft. VP was a type of squadron. So VP30 in or VP31 in Alameda was the training squadron for AWs and everybody else actually for P3 aircraft. So VP or P3s. The second choice was S3s. S3s were jet-powered aircraft that were deployed on aircraft carriers and their squadrons were called VS whatever. VS41 was the training squadron on the West Coast for S3s. And again, everything was coastal. East Coast, West Coast, bi-coastal, right? The other choice was HS, helicopters. H3s was the... HS squadrons are made up of H3s, which are large aircraft. There was two AWs on every H3, uh, two pilots. Uh, H3s utilized dipping sonar, uh, and that sort of stuff. And they also deployed on aircraft carriers. HS-10 was the training squadron on the west coast. HS-1 was the training squadron on the east coast. And the last but not least was uh, HSL, which was H-2s. H-2s are smaller aircraft. Uh, the crew is typically three, pilot, co-pilot, or helicopter second pilot, and a sensor operator. And you couldn't stand up in an H-2. You could stand up in an H-3. Uh, H-2s are uh, made or designed to deploy on destroyers, cruisers, smaller ships, not aircraft carriers. So all these guys would come in, and well, I mean, there are other instruct there were instructors in the school, and they would give their pitch that VP was the best because of this, VS was the best because of this, HS was the best because of this, HSL was the best because of this, and they would give you the rundown or whatever. Now. The most modern aircraft at that time was probably the S3, because the S3 had onboard computers, and the equipment was all computerized, and you're sitting at a computer terminal in an aircraft hunting submarines. Uh, the H3s had older equipment, a little bit less integrated equipment. Um, H2, same thing. P3s had computer equipment, but they were, they had three AWs. P3s had three AWs. Two acoustic operators, which are the guys doing gram analysis, and one non-acoustic operator, and he was the guy manning the radar and the magnetic anomaly stuff. And the S3, H3, and H2, the one AW by himself, well, I take that, and the S3 and the H2, the one AW by himself did all that, and in the H3, they were interchangeable. And there was no radar on an H3 that I remember. 
just magnetic anomaly and dipping sonar. S3s, P3s, and H2s all use solid buoys to help prosecute submarines. I don't think um, H3s... H3s could lay buoy patterns, but they would just relay their stuff back to the ship again. It's been so long, I don't I don't remember all those details. All right, starting at the beginning of Charlie, the Charlie section, we're getting this pitch. Now, when... And then you were also you had to put in what you wanted after you got the pitch. And again, like I said in the intro and pipeline show, if you had regular depth perception, twenty well not even twenty twenty vision, but depth perception, one of your choices had to be helicopter. The reason that one of your choices had to be helicopter was to maintain the search and rescue. The pool of search and rescue qualified air crewmen. So all the helicopters could deploy with people that could pull other people out of the water. So my choice. So when you made your choices, you had to give the platform or community, VP, VS, HS, or HSL, and the coast you wanted to work on. So if you wanted to ensure that you, the aircraft that you wanted, you would say, I want my aircraft, for example, S3s. You would say, I want VS West or VS East. They're going to send you to one or the other, but you're going to get your airplane. Again, that's only for the guys who don't have good depth perception, you know, because you had to pick a helicopter. So here's all those guys who are picking helicopters. So here I am. What do I do? I don't want my helicopter choice, actually. I didn't want to make a helicopter choice. I wanted S3s. They were jets. They launched with catapults off of aircraft carriers. That's what I thought naval aviation was about. And... They had the most modern anti-submarine warfare equipment at the time. But I had to pick a helicopter. So my choice number one... So anyway, so before I say my choice number one, which should be obvious at this point, so I have to think in my head, do I want East Coast or West Coast living? Because that's the only thing I can guarantee at this point. I, can gar- I can't guarantee my aircraft, but I can guarantee my coast if I make first choice, second choice, both West Coast. Um, and with the exception of P3s, all West Coast training squadrons were at Naval Air Station North Island. So I can pretty much guarantee myself going to San Diego if I make the right two choices. So I picked VS West, S3s for West Coast. And my second choice helicopter was HSL West based on the sales pitch of the guys. Because I figured if I have to go to, if I'm, you know, if I'm not going to go to sea in a carrier and an S3, then I'm not going to go to sea in a carrier and a helicopter. All right, so we make our choices, which we don't, which we're not going to find out the results of until for another couple of weeks. Finish up the trolley section, and now all that's left is um, what they call it. It was listening to sound, basically it was oral listening. That was it, oral listening, because some of your submarine identification, you're actually going to listen to the sound being captured by. Various devices, sauna buoys, your dipping sonar, whatever. So oral listening <laughs> was just what it sounded like. It was a week of listening to tapes of noise on the water, understanding what a biologic was, understanding what a surface contact was, understanding what a submarine was, understanding you could hear aircraft flying overhead, all kinds of stuff. And it, But it's hard to teach the esoteric art of identifying certain things in just a week. So it was actually kind of uh, 
it was almost a gimme. It was almost a gimme. When when the practice test came, the instructor was up there giving you hints. And the military has a way of, if they want you to pass, they'll give you the same test that your practice test was. But the courses are in a different order. But it's the exact same stuff. So the oral listening test was just like that. It was You heard the same things over and over again, so you knew what it was, and you could pass the test. Now, before you graduate, let me check my calendar here. Graduation was June 1st, which was a Wednesday. So I said classes were Friday to Thursday. So that means oral listening finished up on a Thursday, probably May. Get out my calendar here. Probably May 26th. Yeah, it's probably Thursday, May 26th. We finished up oral listening. Friday the 27th, we started getting briefings of where we we're going to go. Um, I think that's where that day or maybe the... Well, Monday the 30th, we were off because that was Memorial Day. And there was also an air show, I think, around that time. Blue Angels came to NIS Memphis. So either Friday the 27th or Tuesday the 31st, we were given our orders... We were told what, what the lottery had given us. And I had been awarded HSL West, my second choice, which was where I was going to be sent. So that meant I knew I was going to NAS North Island. That meant I knew I was going to HSL 31 for training because that was the training squadron for the West Coast for H2s. What else did we do that? Oh, we spent <laughs> we spent part of that day ripping up all our all our class materials because they were... It was all secret. It had to be ripped up and torn up and shredded and put into burn bags and then take the burn facility and burn them or whatever. So we spent the day ripping this stuff up. And then the next day we had to get up. I mean, marched with our class. We were in the front, of, you know, we'd been in the front of the gaggle in our dress whites. Marching over there. Went through our class. You know, an officer congratulated us. Those of us who got... Uh, high scores or whatever, high average, you know, your your final grade. Um, it was above a certain thing. We had our little letters of commendation or whatever, pats on the back. And then, you know, a little bit of pep talk. And it come to find out, um, the top three guys, I, I graduated second in that class. Oh, our class number was 83041, by 83041 was our class and I graduated second the guy graduated first and the guy graduated third all three of us got HSL if that means anything small comfort the funny thing was the guy who graduated third actually wanted HSL <laughs> the guy graduated first I don't know what he wanted I can't remember but I know I didn't want it anyway so that's what I got stuck with and um, we were had the option which I think almost all of us took to take two weeks of leave upon graduation. So I departed I departed NAS Memphis and left flew out of the Memphis airport and went home to the folks on the first of June of nineteen eighty three. Um, and that you know that was spent two weeks there before I re- had to report to Naval Air Station North Island for uh, the next step which is uh, search and rescue school. 
All right, so other impressions of being at NAT. So you've had the rundown of what AWA school was. Now, other impressions of being in NATTC Millington. Um, it's like high school. A lot like high school. I mean, again, most of these guys, girls, were fresh out of basic training. And most people reporting to basic training are fresh out of high school or recently graduated from high school. So yeah, I'd say about... 20% were people older, but rest of us, young punk kids. Um, the drinking age in Tennessee at the time, I want to say it was 19. So it wasn't too hard for an 18-year-old to pass as a 19-year-old and go into a club and buy whatever. But if you don't have a set of wheels, you weren't going very far. And I probably spent a lot of my time at the enlisted club. Uh, <laughs> I just realized what I'm talking about, just drinking a lot. But, you know, when you're when you're out on your own it's and you haven't done it, you know, going out and drinking beer with the friends or mixed drinks or whatever, that holds a certain mystery and, a, and a, an attraction to go do those things. Besides the enlisted club at NATTC Millington, well, it had a DJ, but he played a, a fair mix of stuff. And, you know, I was running into fellows from basic training that were in different aviation ratings. My best friend that went into basic training with me, he was there. So we spent a lot of time together. Um, so a lot of time in clubs at night. A lot of time spent in the arcades. There's our, you know, video arcades. We're dropping quarters, playing video games. Because, again, you know, we're young and. 18 years old and we're kids really so we played video games we would go across the north section of the base for the rec center which was loaded with billiard tables pool tables probably 40 of them huge huge room full of pool tables a movie theater saw some goofy movies um you know things i don't remember okay now let me tell you when you see a movie on a military installation it's not generally new. It's not first release, right? So every movie that's been in there is something that you have either seen already or know that was out. You know, you'd seen advertisements for it. Well, there are some movies that were in there that I had never heard of before, so take that for what it's worth. And then, I, you know, I remember spending a lot of money on food just because I didn't enjoy the chow hall one stinking bit. Didn't like it. So the Navy Exchange operated little burger joints, whatever, so I'd eat there. Oh, I skipped over a whole part. All right, during schooling, there was a time called night school. And night school started, I think, maybe during oceanography or maybe during the alpha portion. Night school is when you took a, a diagnostic test or a quiz and you didn't get a high enough score. You had to come back for night school. Now, remember, class was from 6 to 11.30, I'm going to say. 6 to 11.30, you had, if you were stuck in night school, you had an hour to get to the chow hall, eat, and you'd be back by 12.30 and study for another two hours. Night school from 12.30 to 2.30. Okay. <laughs> I just thought the concept was funny. And the second week of Bravo, everyone did night school regardless of what your status was. They wanted to make sure you got through it, I guess. Cheesy night school. All right, so... Spent money on food, arcade, buying some clothes. You know, I got my had my civilian clothes pass. Um, tagging along with dudes who had cars. 
um, some guys you know, finish basic training, get shipped to NAS Memphis, and they're within driving distance of their home where they enter the Navy from. And mom and dad or brother, sister, whoever is watching over their set of wheels. And their first weekend that they got, they flew home and drove back in their car because you were not forbidden to have a car on NAS Memphis if you were fresh out of basic training. But you're forbidden to have wear civilian clothes. Funny, huh? So we had a couple few dudes that you know live close, close as a relative term. I mean, I'm talking days drive, right? Close enough to go get their cars, bring their cars back, and I would hang out with these guys and and uh, go into town with them, where we had you know Taco Bell and Burger King and McDonald's and regular fast food joints, and then some of these stores that would thrive or make their business off of young service members um, selling them whatever trinkets and wares or whatever. Um, let's see what else. I, you know, I could. I rent. I remember paying a guy, two different people, to rent their car twice, so I could go out into town on my own. They were stuck on duty. Give them, flip them twenty bucks. Now, this is nineteen eighty three. It's twenty bucks. A little bit more of a an investment for a good time than it is nowadays. To flip a Twinsky. I think my paychecks in Memphis. My paychecks were two hundred and thirty five dollars. That was my. That was my half of my monthly pay. I got paid twice a month. 235 bucks. Not a whole lot of money. And it was and I had nothing to spend it on except food, drink, whatever. It was all blow money. Party, party, party. No bills, no nothing, okay? So, you know, so it's no big deal to give a guy a 20, take his car for the day, go into town, just don't drive drunk, they'd say, or whatever, don't crack it or you're dead or ah, you know, whatever. I only did it a couple times. Um let's see what else. What other I'm going to miss a whole... Oh, all right. So some of these barracks that we were in were mixed. Like there's a barracks of all the electronics guys. So all the guys that were learning, you know, the electronics-based skills, aviation electricians, mate. No, not electricians. Aviation electronics technician, the uh, AT, the AX, which was a guy specifically working on um, anti-submarine gear, the AQs, the fire control technicians, all these guys—they're mixed in their. They would have their their little quad of barracks, and they were mixed. The AWs were not mixed. All the AWs were ha- were housed in one barracks. The women Marines were right next door to us. As a matter of fact, in my room on the second floor, I could see their quarter deck, their front door. So if you just kind of hung out, you can meet all these girls. You're walking by and just start chatting them up, whatever, right next to the parking lot. As a matter of fact, that was our second building. I have a picture, which I should probably post on the website, um, of our old building, which had a nice mural on it. it said AW had a set of air crew wings, and had it had a picture of an S three, a P three, an H three, and an H sixty. No H two, HSL, the old HSL Mark lamps Mark one guys got screwed. The H sixty, they had a picture on there. Um, let's see what other what. Other things are germane. I'm missing a whole bunch, I'm sure. I mean, because I was there. You know, I left on June 1st and I arrived on February 25th. So, how many weeks is that? Let's count that out really quick. Let's see. February 25th. Okay, so that was a Friday. 
So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Thirteen and a half weeks I was there. So a quarter, one quarter of a year. And um and I have fuzzy memory. <laughs> anyway, so that, that that's pretty much the basic rundown of AWA school. I, I'm I'm leaving out a bunch of stuff. I'm leaving out names of guys. Uh, again, you know, I don't know if I'm at liberty to divulge anything like this because this is public. I mean, this is going out on the internet eventually, right? So, without their express permission, I'm not, I'm going to leave names off. But I'll post again when I get a scanner. I'll post a picture on the website, our grad, our class graduation picture. And you can have fun picking out the same faces that were in the air crew school graduation picture. But all I knew is on June first, I was done. I it was early morning. It was by by afternoon, you know, two two o'clock in the afternoon. I was on an airplane out of there. June first, I departed Memphis, Tennessee. Flew home for two weeks, and on Friday. Uh, June 17th I flew to San Diego to report to NAS to report to HC1 SAR school search and rescue school at NAS North Island. So that will be the next that'll be the subject of the next show search and rescue school. Um, we're running up here on an hour so I'm, without any specific more details to provide I think I'm going to uh, call this one done. I'm going to sign off. This is your host Mike. Stay safe. God bless.